0: You know when you're watching a movie with your family and then a sex scene comes up? How cringy is that?
1: Oh my god, that sucks. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that almost sucks as much as decon. That's
0: true. You know what doesn't suck? Ursuline Technologies Hybrid Decon. They're revolutionizing the decon process with their bar method, which is blot, apply, and remove, using wet and dry decon.
1: No more rigging, no more hosing. You don't have to find any large areas to dedicate in the rig to get all this stuff up and running. The system is compact. Like, I mean, toss it in the back of your chief's truck, compact. Right. So do your own recon
0: and make deconsuckless.com or visit them at firstlinetech.com because firstline technology is making decon suck a little less. welcome back
1: okay Episode i have to know Go. i have to know what made you use that suck because i had a that literally happened to us yesterday all right i'm gonna tell you my suck because i think it's it's absolutely hysterical. well not my suck but the that right so we're watching a vampire movie or series yeah. or and they they start doing like a little bit of a sexy scene and my um the my 16 year old turns away and gets all blushy and Jen goes, oh, it's okay. He's just eating her. And he meant, she meant like biting her neck, like eating uh, her, like it was a gory scene. And she took it totally different. And she like uh, squealed in a horror that it, was ha- <laughs> that it was happening. So the fact that you just said that just, it brought that up and it made me laugh so much. Uh, what, was, what was your awkward family sex scene? <laughs>
0: I don't know, I, don't, I think it was like Sweet six, uh, 16 Candles or something like that. I was like, oh, this is going to be a great movie. I'm like, oh, I don't remember this. <laughs> Didn't play that so, on Channel 11. No, but uh, what is coming is the Hazmat Happy Hour, which is actually tomorrow night. Oh my as God. of this recording. Oh, that is right. What about that? So if you want to hang out with us and and... Shoot the shit. Uh, the Specialist Happy Hour, if you're a specialist, is the fourth Thursday of every month at 1900 hours Eastern Standard Time. So go to the slash happy. That's where you'll find it. Um, lots of conferences coming up. Uh, we will have them all on the website shortly. We're trying to uh, organize everything, but um, too many to, to list, to be honest with you.
1: There are. I think this year is going to be our busiest conference year. It seems like between April and April, there's 33 conferences.
0: <laughs> it really is. am i am
1: i not Incredible! No. like why did every conference decide to do their shit all in the first like three weeks of spring i don't know it's it, it is odd uh, but
0: um it's tough job but we're up to it so today's topic five tips to responding to flannel liquids i'm actually kind of looking forward to this one
1: yeah me too me too we uh we, you know we Uh, We hear back over and over again that everybody enjoys the tips, the tips, the tips. So we're trying to do tips. If you've got any tips yourself for responding to flammable liquids or tips for anything that you would like to have a show sent about, please drop me an email at Mike, the hazmat guys. And we'll, we'll use those tips in a tip show.
0: Yeah. So to kick this one off, um, you know, obviously in in like all of our type operations, um, you start with the assessment of the scene. Right. You 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 kind of start with that whole pre plan. I I understand that a lot of people say, you know, when do you start planning for these things like, oh, you know, when the ticket comes in? No, I should start it, you know, pre that. I should start it before I'm born. Oh, right, all right. It's like, all right, yeah, yeah. I got it. Got
1: I, it. I, I do the weather ten days in advance and right. that's when I <laughs> <Shut> start. <up. laughs> I you're so full of
0: So but at the time I didn't can- know what was
1: going on until the rig showed up
0: but you can you can kind of pre-plan as in like gasoline we've been dealing with it putting it into our cars we're pretty used to that that specifically that one fuel but the thing is is like the complacency with that fuel is insane like how matter-of-factly we just handle that one on on a daily
1: basis so well are are all i mean we talk about flammable materials but are they all the same like no
0: that's that's the thing. Is like you you, you do you need to understand the product, like do you need to like have an intrinsic feeling without that product in order to properly deal with it? And I would argue you don't. You just need to know s- some parameters, and you well, can effectively deal with the whole genres.
1: You need the stuff that matters, right? Like you take diesel and gasoline for example, right? No. They're both combustible liquids. They're both. I mean, I guess it depends on that technical. If you want to be a technical dude. One's flammable, one's one's combustible, but understanding things like their flash point, understanding you know how their vaporizations are, understanding their characters, because when we do go into anything, we do that product container environment, and understanding how that product behaves, its behaviors based upon its chemical properties. So, for example, diesel I know is not going to flash as easily as gasoline. Uh, I can drill easier with diesel. I don't have to uh-huh. set up the same kind of safety protocols that I do for diesel that I might for gasoline. Diesels also can be harder to put out once it gets started if you heat it up high enough. Right. So there are, there are intricacies between understanding the differences in flammable material. We don't treat them all the same. They're not all the same. And just like chemicals all have their own different chemical properties, flammable liquids have their own chemical properties. And that has to be understood and dealt with, you know, to an umph degree. Right, and the, the ones you you would just hammer
0: on are the probably the most common, uh, you know, carbon
1: Right, Your hydrocarbons ones, hydrocarbons,
0: right? right? And so that that everybody's very comfortable with them, but now let's flip the coin over to something different like methanol and propanol or you know, ethanol, which is incredibly, these are very different parameters, right? One is polar, one's not polar. One foam works on very well, and the other one eh, not so much. So just understanding, like, the flannel liquid, everybody snaps their mind into, like, gasoline diesel. Not always the case. And so, again, the product, having an idea of the genre is a big deal, but um, that leads us
1: into other chemical physical properties. Yeah, uh, like vapor pressure, right? Huge. And Like, when we take a look at, at chemical physical properties, I swear to God, one of the first things I'm going to look at is something's vapor pressure, because if I can understand how much it's giving off, I therefore, and it's not like a a quantifiable thing that I'm about to say, but I can understand its danger, right? It's like red, yellow, green. Okay. Like green, I can work around this stuff. Like diesel, diesel would be a perfect example. Like I can work around this stuff. I don't have to be so concerned unless the specific properties, like it's a super hot day. It's 150 degrees on the roadway. Um, so vapor pressure plays this tremendous role in understanding how the behavior is going to act. Right. And that would also lead me into another
0: one, uh, solubility, which is going to change possibly my tactics, my decon, um, you know, is, as we talked about in the last couple episodes, what if it's raining? Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Right? Like, if I have an ethanol spill and it's pouring out, well, then I have an enormous ethanol spill. But if I have a gasoline spill, and this kind of goes into uh, the next one, but, like, if I have a gasoline spill, I have probably a gasoline spill that's really, really far out because it'll thin out and go all across the place. Right.
1: A cool little trick, that, that uh, an example that we used to do re- really, really quickly as a demonstration. Take your, your 100% isopropyl alcohol. Okay. Uh, Take, I don't know, a beer container, a soda container, flip it upside down, you got like that little divot at the bottom, right? So fill it with half with alcohol, half with water, light it on fire. When that goes out, add a little bit more water and then fill it up again with alcohol and keep diluting it where you get lower and lower alcohol and see at what point it no longer lights up. And you're going to find out that Alcohol, like an ethanol, is still going to burn with around seventy percent water. Is that the? I think that's the right number, right? Thirty yeah, percent. Yeah, it's like a major, major dilution it takes to put it out. Right. So you, if you have this tremendous volume of leaking uh, ethanol, and you try to put double its liquid, you now have a huge flammable. Right,
0: and that. So, all right, so we understand the product, and you're going to hear this, like, one of the things we do is, like, you know, we we do our size up in hazmat, product, container, environment, and intent, but keep that for the side right now. But the second part would be the container. So the second, you know, we're still in the first tip, but the container, how, how does the container make a difference? I look very simply at a container of, like, what is it made out of? Right, because like the amount of money they spent on the container generally tells me how expensive the stuff is on the inside. Right, you know, you don't generally see like stainless steel casks with like triple locking bungs and stuff like that for like you know rubbing alcohol. Right, y- y- right, y- right. I-, I look at the container. I look at the um, I look at um how big the opening is for the container. Generally speaking, again, small openings,
1: high vape pressure. Big openings, like a bucket of paint, low vapor pressure. Because all of that goes towards us predicting behavior, right? Everything, product, container, environment, it is all going towards predicting behavior. And we want to predict behavior, right? Because we want to understand how our actions are going to have consequences. For example, which one are you going to pay more attention to? Are going to pay attention to the 270-gallon plastic tote with a leak of ethanol that could possibly find an ignition source, or are you going to pay more attention to the 275-steel container with a leak? I personally am going to go with the plastic, because if that fire insults the container enough, you're going to get a river of fire if that container fails. Concur.
0: I concur with that. You know, the metal, though the the metal uh, might be uh, a more robust thing and you can say well sparking and grounding and bonding and all that stuff uh, i would argue that the metal took a lot more effort to break through and would take a lot more effort to make worse yeah. that
1: relative to the plastic right so the, the container container pressure relief devices you know you talk about 406 407s that turn over what is it about the container that keeps that product in has that container been compromised is that going to affect by evolution somewhere down the line. And
0: the final part of this, this one thing is, is the environment, product container environment. What do we mean by the environment? It could be um, you're, you're, you're on a highway, and it's very likely you're gonna see flammables on a highway because people have accidents and that kind of thing. So maybe the biggest danger is not the, the flammable liquid, but the traffic that's whizzing and bio. And so this is why a lot of these, um, these flammable liquid or these evolutions take place in, in, in a training setting or a table topping with different environments. Because to be honest, you know, to run these things in real life on a real place with real
1: risks in an environment is really dangerous. Yeah. And we kind of proved this point for many years. We did, this, we did some of the circuits with the Hazmat madlibs which literally was an entire training day based upon the exact same product, and all we did was change the environment. We changed specific things about the environment, and it totally changed the run, and it was really an eye-opener. For example, how would your, you know, uh, how would your operation change if you had a flammable liquid leaking in dirt versus concrete and and that may not seem like a big thing, but I can help use that pavement as part of my containment device. Right, right. I can't do that with dirt. The, my all my my flammable liquid is going to soak in. Which, if I'm concerned about an ignition source and therefore um, an exposure, maybe letting it soak through the dirt for that moment is the best thing because it 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 renders the flammability. Um, the impact of, of a, an ignition source, a lot less. Um, look at something like mountains versus flatland. If I have a leak in a mountainous area, my product is going to want to flow very, very quickly downward, down the slope. So it changes my entire operation and the things that I have to do uh, when we're you know, establishing the next two, five 10.
0: Okay, well, point number two, establishing a safe perimeter. Now, it sounds very basic, (laughs) but again, the complacency... And I'm going to keep going back to gasoline because I I, I think about it because it's such a common commodity that people are like, a perimeter for a gas leak? I go to the gas station and I just stick it in the tap while I'm smoking a cigar. Right. And and my hand is right on that hole. Yes. (laughs) But, um... What we're talking about is there's a limited amount of vapor coming out because it's supposed to be reclaimed. Second off, the mixing area where there possibly could be a, uh, a, a flammable area is not by where your cigar is. It's probably within an inch or two of that cap. And you have seen probably those, the, the video of the girl who's playing with her cardigan and mm-hmm. she's pulling it away from her body. Oosh. And she, well, that spark, what I'm going to bet, was really close to that, that gas cap. And that's why that happened. So what is safe? Where, what are we protecting ourselves from? Is it from ignition? From getting wet? Is it from, uh, you know, the, we're always watching out for the spark. I, I like that. But, like, take the holistic view of your, your border, or of your, or your protection perimeter, and say, what am I using it for?
1: Right, because when you're establishing a perimeter, you know, some of that is based upon your prediction behavior models, right? right? Am I worried about, let's say, a blevy? Well, my protection perimeter is going to be huge if my concern is, uh, is, is a blevy uh, because I want to make sure that the energy from that blast, that everybody is going to be out of that area. So what would just be a normal leak And I could send people in i now have to consider mass evacuation of civilians in the area i need to set my command post far enough away where if if the worst case scenario happens and it blevies it's not going to have a catastrophic effect on everybody right which brings us back to training oh always the trick you know speaking of
0: training how about you unlock your team's potential with a customized instruction delivered by the hazmat guys
1: why why would we want to do this Well, because we deliver experience and not plain, boring training. And And we will come, (laughs) when we come to the training, uh, we deliver a course that, or we don't deliver a course that was just designed years ago. Every course is updated for the absolute freshest take in emerging trends. uh, And we do this every single time. We take the time, we make it as cutting edge as possible, and it is worth that time. Yep. And we partner with a whole bunch of companies to bring you the best props, technologies, devices. And opportunities available. Right. And we guarantee that our instructors will keep everybody engaged, at least everybody that stays uh, away. Yeah. We will only partner with the absolute best instructors. In-
0: so don't let your potential go untapped. Cho- choose us as your training partner and embark on a personal and professional growth journey. Contact us at slash hire us to reserve your spot and start your transformational right right away.
1: Back to the beat. Three. <laughs> Grow from breeding the hazmat larvae to the hazmat butterfly. Oh,
0: yeah. so good.
1: <laughs> All right. So um, we've got, we want to figure this out for, for PPE purposes too. However, it becomes really easy with flammable liquid. Bob, can you see any real thing outside of one level of PPE? flammable liquid? Nope. Nope. <laughs> what <laughs> about everything what about, <laughs> about everything it becomes a little different we've got a couple of toxic gases that we need to consider things when we're dealing with but for the most part we're looking at bunker gear and scb there's not a whole hell of a lot to to, to, to parse out between all right tip number three we want to always be considered we always want to be considering containing and isolating the the event or the leak now You may ask, oh, what's the difference between containing and isolating? Well, in isolating, we are looking to stop the leak. So what kinds of things need to be assessed before we look to stop a leak? Uh, And we have to always consider our safety as number one. So when we're coming from this point of view, we're always looking to see, one, can we stop that leak, right? Pressure that's, uh, let's say we have a container that's leaking. What does that pressure look like that's coming out? Sometimes we can have tanks where the leaks are at the bottom and the head pressure is so strong that it's not even worth it to attempt to stop the leak because nothing that we have is going to hold back 50 psi of pressure well. So uh, making sure that you can actually stop the leak becomes one of the priorities.
0: Right. And another one would be if I am working in the flammable range. So if my whole operation of just smashing some wooden dowels into the thing and I'm actually in the U- L-E-L-U-E-L, the flammable range, I might want to re- reconsider either doing that or modifying the scenario so that I don't need to work in a flammable range. Because if you have a leaking uh, tote or whatever it might be, that is what they would call a three-dimensional uh, leak, meaning that it's it's very dynamic. It's not a static puddle. It's moving. It's spraying. It's doing things. So... In all reality, you're trying to figure out what your goal is. Is it to slow it, stop it? Is it to make it go away?
1: Is it to, you know, what are you doing? Well, I think that's an important point that you bring up, right? Is what is my goal? And the next step for a lot of people in thinking outside of the box is that asking what is my goal? It's not the objective. It's the goal, right? The objective would be put down a pop-up pool but the goal is to stop the leak. Well, what if that objective doesn't match the goal when it's put into that environment? Right. So, so sometimes you're just looking to stop the leak or to slow it down. Uh, sometimes the only thing that you can do is slow down the leak, and it's really important to be able to understand and, and allow yourself to not be able to stop the leak. i tell you how many times, we see this training all the time. People will spend 50 minutes trying to stop a leak it will slow down tremendously. They give that bolt another titan, yeah. and the whole thing you know, breaks apart, and it starts leaking worse than it did before because they let perfect be the enemy of progress. Right? We're not there sometimes to actually make sure and stop everything, but if we can slow it down, we can limit the damage, we can limit the danger, and we may be able to use something like a 20-gallon pop-up pool we've slowed it down enough that we are not so concerned about the product coming we've bought ourselves some time. so never let perfection enemy of progress
0: now opposite of isolating is well, not opposite but you know a different point of isolating is uh containment and when you're doing containment you're kind of catching right would you agree with that i would i would yeah. say catching uh so one is stopping it and one is catching it and 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 containment is one of those things that you'd have to get very creative very quickly depending on how much containment you actually have at your disposal.
1: If you don't have a lot, you're gonna have to get very creative very quickly. Yeah, and there are things that we can do that we don't even realize that we, can right? Like if you took a, a, a hose length and just kind of you know, put it in a loop and cross the ends and threw a tarp on it, well, you've just made yourself probably a hundred gallon pop-up pool right in no time and that's with an inch and three quarter line you start to use a three inch line or a four inch line you can have massive quantities so remember your goal when you ask yourself what you're looking to do that is what can i do with what i have on scene because we are the reality is is we're just trying to prevent the product from going anywhere right and it's in important to state those overarching goals because that's when we can think outside the box that's when we go oh wait a second i do have the capability of doing this even though i don't have a tool at my disposal i can use my surroundings i can use other things
0: right like you know we're not just throwing a pool under a leak you're trying to stop the leak from getting worse and and contain it with anything we can so it might sound like a silly thing but it's kind of an important part is, is You know, containment to a uh, to a point to reality, because uh, perfection, as Mike says, it's it's usually the thing that screws up and makes it worse. Right.
1: Boy, we can't do much of anything if these vapors reach out and find an ignition source.
0: Yeah, so that's point
1: four. Point four is finding ignition source, and you would be amazed if you actually stepped back and you started realizing how many ignition sources are around certain areas. um, There is certain there's priorities when it comes to ignition. And I would always say that a priority for an ignition source is the ignition source that is closest to the flammable ring. Don't necessarily worry about the fire trucks that are in the parking lot when you've got a generator in a building that's 10 feet. So, Good point. You know, we, we always want to try to find the ignition source that the vapors is going to hit the quickest. Um, sometimes that could be down downhill sometimes that could be uphill depending on where your vapors are going depending on what your your um air currents are like that day right we look at a product and we go okay wow that's good those vapors are going to go down um but you may have air currents in a building that are bringing it up is there an ignition source up uh do i necessarily i have a light on that light may be an ignition source but you think it's up at the ceiling but the switch is down by your body so turning off that ignition source might actually lead to you creating a spark and an ignition source in an area that's closer to the bell. So these are all things we want to think about when we're calling a- I, I like that. That's a great takeaway. Um,
0: do your ignition, uh, ignition sources from the point of problem out? Right. I need to do it. And number five, (laughs) number five is choose the right suppression method. If you are using a suppression method, Uh, whether it be uh, suppression method, I don't even know. Like I can think of like maybe not suppression, maybe using fans yeah i'm not going to say that's in the suppression mode but i when i think of suppression i think of foam or or the like i i i I would also throw in there a fan in order to um stretch or push or move a flammable a potentially flammable mixture someplace i like
1: it versus i don't like it but or just getting it out of the flammable range
0: right i'm diluting it with air right? right and that's that's a very easy thing to do but if you're going to be doing foam, and uh, we've done many episodes on this, so um, pick the right type of foam. Um, and I'm having a hard time thinking of why you would want... Uh, I, I know where we, me and Mike worked. We, When I came on, we had, I think, like six different types of foam that you were supposed to pick from. And we've whittled it all down to one. And the key to the whole thing is if you have multiple types, make sure your stuff is AR. Because AR works on both and regular doesn't work on alcohol. right? right? And so,
1: you may turn around and go, oh yeah, but I'm dealing with gasoline. Well, I tell you what, there's not too many places in this country where it's not at least 20% ethanol. Right, so they're mixing stuff together now. They're, so They're mixing. So always, I would say, as a rule of thumb, always go for that AR foam first.
0: I know it's more expensive, and I know some places don't have the, but it's like a one-stop shop. You can, you can use soap and water or water. Use soap and water every time. Why wouldn't you do that?
1: Additives, I mean, you're talking about putting soap in, right? There are other additives out there uh, for foam, such as you may hear infamously and begrudgingly uh, F500 as an additive, and it is an additive, and this would be one of the few times that I actually will bring up a product like F500 or PyroCool. Uh, Bob had said before about dealing with three-dimensional fires when Mm -hmm. you have containers, and these two products are actually... They are designed and work best in three-dimensional Class B liquid fires. So this would be the the one of the few times that we're gonna you know give a plug to two products that we normally wouldn't work with. Uh, But when you're when you're thinking about things like F500 and Pyrocool, understand that three-dimensional fires is where they would want to be. Can't really use foam on a three-dimensional fire because that foam's gonna drop to the ground and leave the fuel covered structure exposed and that's going to light up and purple k and chemical extinguishers often don't work on three-dimensional fires because they don't take the heat away from the structure that's been up so your addition of water plus f500 plus possibly a chemical extinguishing agent is going to be how you would want to move forward in your love it